Ladies and gentlemen, now it's too late with Alan Mosley. Good work. Wow! Whoa! I can't believe it. <laughs> guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too... I know, we're just as amazed as you guys are that the show works and is on time. And you can see and hear us right now. I, I know I am. Uh, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley. Joined, as always, by the number one producer in Late Night, Dave Willemowski. Dave! How are you doing? I'm doing good, all things considered. Doing great. And yeah, every <laughs> every week it's a miracle that we're here. It's great. How are you doing, Isn't Alan? it, though? I, I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm well because we've had we've had this issue the last few weeks where the the audience applause is so deafening, just the gales of laughter and cheers yeah, that insane. I can't even hear you, mm-hmm. right? But me up. but yeah, but our but our warm up comedian came out ahead this week and said, guys, you know, yeah, and we yeah tone it down. Uh. Want to make all of our announcements at the beginning of the show because we're terrible at remembering to do this stuff. By we, oh, yeah. I mean me, and by me, I mean you because you're supposed to be reminding yeah. me of the stuff. Uh, make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the show on all the platforms that we're on. And th- there's a list somewhere. That's another. Go ahead and write that down in your note too. That's another thing <laughs> we should right. have is a list of the things. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, PayPal, uh, and also here's a good programming note. For the sports fans in your lives, let them know that Sports Ball with Mike and Allen is returning. We've got the date, September 1st, ladies and gentlemen. September 1st is the return of Sports Ball with Mike and Allen. Oh, I tell you, I'm so excited. We're we're starting Sports Ball back for the start of football season. I am so excited for football season this year, Dave. Yeah, right? Are you excited for football? I am excited. I like football. That's my favorite. It's like technically it's already started because the NFL preseason has already begun, but that's like that's not real football. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the preseason's kind of more of a extended tryout, and sometimes the product on the field during the preseason uh, can be a little lacking. I think we mm. can all agree. Uh, <laughs> even the announcers in the booth get themselves into some sticky situations. <laughs> Take a look at this. You have to like when there's a guy coming right in your face and he just sits in there and, and delivers it uh, really well. <laughs> Dave, you ever been known to? No, never mind. Uh, that was graphic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't do it. I'm just. I'm just trying to watch some football, you know. Uh, <laughs> speaking of a guy coming right in your face, Pres- Vice President Kamala Harris is back in the news, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, fresh off of some recent public speaking gaffes, she did a town hall for CNN where she was speaking to the ladies in the room about what it takes to succeed in a man's world. Take a look here. I think we should. Yes. I mean, look, I'm going to be honest. It's really difficult to when you had if you're just like if you don't gulp it down immediately it starts to bend and and then you know the little thing catches it and then you know but so we got to kind of perfect that one a little bit more so you we got it we got it is a process right you don't just do it it's a process uh (laughs) <laughs> you know, thank you, Officer Harris, for letting everybody know sometimes you got to do some favors if you want to get ahead in life. Oh. 
Oh, I see what you did there. She really blows the competition, doesn't she? Huh. <laughs> Surprised she didn't go to the University of South Carolina because she really knows how to game cock. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, pride is a sin, but I'll give one thing to Kamala. She's never had a problem swallowing it. Yeah. I think you need to stop. I don't That's think good. so, because I think she'd want us to suck every last drop out of this segment. Oh, my God. <laughs> Guys, we're going to be back with the meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this commercial break. Don't go away. everybody want you to tell you a little bit about tonight's sponsor which is pat crest botanicals which you can find at patcrestbotanicals.com promo code it's too late for 30 percent off all your cba 30. cbd and delta 80 i know 30 percent <laughs> off right isn't that crazy Sick. i actually have some right here here's the ascend 3000 that i use every yeah can we get a okay. yeah <sighs> look i'm doing my best kamala harris impression <laughs> it's just never I'm gonna just, end they're ne they're never gonna <laughs> We're going to lose every sponsor. <laughs> it's over, dude. But that's that's Pat Crest Botanicals, patcrestbotanicals.com, promo code. It's too late. Uh, hey, Dave. Good stuff. Yes, Alan. What time is it? It's time for Meme of the Week. Some people call it parenting. I call it Raisin Cream Pies. <laughs> yep. Dave, you ever been known... Uh, <laughs> raised a couple <laughs> yeah all right everybody gets two or three apparently I don't, I don't know um but we do have a bonus meme check out the bonus meme i'm here to suck cock and own the libs and i'm all out of cock wow that's a good one. yeah that's pretty yeah that's too. a good one too I told people that I I told people, right? I told people that I hired our friend Ryan Seifert to be the new lead writer of the show and everyone thought I was joking. You could nope. see I wasn't, right? Yeah, I saw that. I yeah. saw it post that. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I actually saw some people in the comments saying like that you're that's not for real. Like like what are you doing hiring Ryan? And now everyone yeah. sees the answer. I need a fall guy. There you go. Yeah. You know how, like, in football, the if the coach is on the hot seat because they're losing too much, he fires all of his staff first to, like, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's yeah. that's kind of what's going on right here. So, <laughs> anyway. Oh, oh, um, yeah. I'm going to open my fortune cookie while we answer the viewer mail. Oh, okay. Yeah, take your time, Dave. No, my god i'm getting crumbs all over the place dude where's kamala when you need her um 
<laughs> I thought on a fortune cookie it was supposed to give you your fortune, not just make a statement. No. This says you are sociable and entertaining. You are you are sociable and inter- no one can. I don't even know why I'm holding. No, no one can no. read that. Yeah, I can't no. barely read it. I I need my readers. You got your readers. <laughs> I got. Can I you, got my can readers. You, all right, can you pass me those? You are you are sociable and entertaining. Well, if this monologue tonight is any indication, you are correct. <laughs> Fortune cookie. Um, all right. Viewer mail. I probably oh, should have yeah. opened the viewer mail instead of opening cookie. Opening cookie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Andrew Avery writes, there is a lot going on. This There's a lot that goes into this show, and some of it's okay. Yeah. Some yeah. of it's pretty okay. Andrew Avery writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if a French dairy exploded, would debris be everywhere? Oh. You'd think. I'm going to answer answer Andrew's question with with, uh, a little bit of background on me. Did you know that my father was a dairy farmer? I did not know that. That makes me a dairy heir. It does. I got it. Jesus Christ. All right. Um, Clay Davis writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what brand of guitar do you play? If you could own any guitar, what would you choose? Dave, do you play any instruments? Uh, Clay, uh, what brand of guitar? I play a Martin Aura. And if I could own any guitar, it would be a Martin Aura. Oh, you got your dream guitar. I do have my dream. What about you, Dave? Um, I, I mean, I play like a, a little guitar, a little drums, everything poorly, not... Mm-hmm. Good at all, but yeah. Well, Growing up, I had you're, a, a PP predator. Yeah, well, you're you're a Renaissance man, you know. You like to yeah, I like dabble, to spread it around. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I won't tell if you don't. Uh, Keith McQuarrie <laughs> writes, "Dear Alan and Dave, if your life was a movie, what genre would it be? Drama, action, romantic comedy, horror, etc." Uh, Dave, oh. what about you? I guess I guess it would be a it's not a horror. Not too dramatic. It'd have to be a comedy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with comedy. I actually told Anna Kay this. I said, hey, check out this question by Keith. Um, and she said, well, what are you going to answer? And I said, I think I'm actually going to answer a romantic comedy because, you know, there's some romance. There's some suspense oh, yeah. in there. A little sexual tension, and but, but some laughs. And her response to me was, am I a joke to you? <laughs> All right. What a- so, <laughs> wow. So thanks, Keith. <laughs> Uh, Aaron Kintner writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what is your dream car? Dave, you got a dream car? Oh, um, it used to be like, like those sporty ones. Like I I always like the Lamborghini. I don't know how to pronounce it. Countach or whatever. But then I realized that I'll probably never fit into one of those. So now it's like Mm -hmm. one of those bigger BMWs, maybe a big luxury ride. I think I'd go with that. I thought you. I thought you were gonna say like when you were a younger single man. You know, it was these sporty cars, but now it's a fuel efficient van. Yeah, <laughs> that's your dream want car. A minivan with power windows. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. You guys were rocking the suburban. I mean, it looked pretty good. That was really nice. All right. Yeah. I could, I could uh, sixty nine Corvette Stingray. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I, I like questions this week. They're all talking about our dreams. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Very this is nice. Uh, Jonathan Carranza writes, Dear Alan and Dave, how many holes does a straw have? Oh. Now, I actually thought about this, believe it mm-hmm. or not, and I decided it's only one, and I'll tell yeah. you why. 
So it's the same type of question as a donut, right? How many holes does a donut have? And the answer is one, because when you order donut holes, they're a single object, right? Oh, there you go. Can't argue with that. Yeah. Boom. That's bulletproof logic right there. Answer's one. Yeah, I know. I, I, I base everything <laughs> around how donuts are shaped and formed. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. yeah I, I concur. Uh, all right. Uh, Eric Eli writes, Dear Alan and Dave, if an ap- apocalyptic event were to... What happened to the dreams, yeah. Eric? All right. Were to occur, what are the top three items you would want to be in possession of? I mean, honestly, if it's an apocalyptic event, then probably... Um, Anake... Well, I mean, she's not really... She's not really an item, but, you know. Anake... And I, you know what? I only need two: Anake and the Holy Spirit. There you go. That'll see That's you all through. You need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dave? Uh, so, uh, so a blood. Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> my blood pressure medicine, probably some oh, alcohol yeah. to consume and, and trade. And uh, man, it's like consumables. My computer wouldn't do me any good. There's no electricity. Yeah. Maybe maybe some kind of nicotine. I guess cigarettes. I could sell those too. Yeah. So, Dave, you know how it says on the side of the medication bottle that you're not supposed to mix with alcohol? Like, that's not a suggestion. Does it say that? I never really looked at it. (laughs) The experts, am I right? Uh, Carl Huber writes Dear Alan and Dave, is there a balance between chaos and order in our universe, or are they both just illusions to make us feel less alone in an unpredictable world? Oh. Um,. Uh, Dave? Yeah. Well, I, I I believe that there's definitely chaos and order, and um, they're not always in balance. But that's our job here. That's the meaning of life is is to to create order out of chaos and keep it keep it evened mm-hmm. out. Because you can, you can have too much order, and then it's then then it's tyranny. So our job is to to equalize it. I think. Um... I think that's man's like great struggle is to bring order to chaos. Yeah. And and I think that ultimately you fail, but it is it is in the doing yeah. that we find I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I should have thought about that. I was I was too busy thinking about the donut holes in the straw yeah. to get around to oh. this one, you know? Uh Carl, refer back to Jonathan's question. Uh, Ryan Seifert <laughs> writes, Dear Alan and Dave, what is something people do that annoys the hell out of you? Dave, what's something people do that annoys the hell out of you? Oh, man, I should really read these ahead of time. Um, Just just being inconsiderate in general. A lot of people just yeah. not thinking about anybody else and mostly driving and stuff like that. But yeah, that'd be it. Being inconsiderate. Yeah, I think I think there's a severe lack of kindness and I, and I don't mean that in like a mushy sort of way, but, but very yeah. seriously, like it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what people are willing to do for you and what you can accomplish. Just starting off with the baseline of your kind to people. Yeah. It's worked yeah. for me. <laughs> and, and look where it's led you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're living kind. the dream. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> Uh, and finally tonight, Mary Lynn Willimowski writes, Dear Alan and Dave, 
Did you did your family take vacations together when you were little? If so, what is the most memorable one for you? Uh, did your family take vacations when you were little? I mean, were you ever little, like physically? I don't know. Yeah, I was. I was born little. I okay, got, I got bigger, but um, all right, yeah. We 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 do vacations. I don't know if we do them every year, but we'd end up in um the Allegheny Woods, the forested mountains, and stuff like that. And we we'd get a cabin, and it, it, it's not like super posh or anything. It was it was like a real cabin, and I have a lot of memories from that. But they all kind of blend together, so I can't really think of one particular vacation. But it was just being there and really enjoyed it, spending time with the family and stuff like that. Getting yelled at somewhere new. Yeah, man, when our family ever took a vacation in the woods, our, my, my mom and dad would go home, and my, me and my brother had to make our way back. It's like, <laughs> all right. Uh, I mean, you know, you got it's nice to get out of the house. That's abandonment. <laughs> uh, guys, we're going to be back with our friend Jason Rink, the most canceled filmmaker in America, Ooh. right after this commercial break. Stick around. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Back to the show, everybody. Our guest this evening is here for round two. He's the host of the Cancel Proof podcast, as well as uh, the most canceled filmmaker in America. Boy, I, I thought that was a joke the first time you were here, but I'll be damned if that wasn't the truth, not 24 hours later. Uh, Jason Rink, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Good to be with you. Glad to be back. Jason, I want to start off right there. The last time you were on, we talked a little bit about some of the projects you were working on at the time and still are working on. And uh, you had teased for us that you you might have you might have rubbed a few people the wrong way. <laughs> and boy, it it literally wasn't 24 hours after the show aired. Uh, you ran afoul of some trouble. And I know a lot of the audience is already familiar with it, but I, I wanted to know if you could give us a quick recap of what all has gone down but really importantly how have you rebounded since then yeah yeah well it's it is funny that was a very timely podcast and at the time i had a film called the most canceled man in america that we were going to be screening at freedom fest at the anthem film festival it had been you know um accepted into that film festival and then through a series of events um you know and, and what what i hadn't announced at that point in time on your show was that after they accepted the film into the film festival, they ended up pulling the film. And they pulled the film as a result of some uproar that happened around it because uh, of the individual that the film was about is a guy named Nick Fuentes with a podcast called America First. He is a well-known rabble rouser in uh, on the political right. And, um, you know, uh, a number of libertarian organizations or... You know, I don't know. National Review was one of them. So I don't know that you'd call them a libertarian organization, but a number of organizations that were tied to Freedom Fest when they heard about the film screening 
Um, they got really mad about it. You know, the Cato's of the world, Reason, National Review, what have you. And it resulted in Freedom Fest uh, withdrawing the film um, and threw me in a situation where um, I, you know, had these longstanding relationships with Freedom Fest. I judged their film festival just last year. Um, and I decided that I needed to sort of call them out on, on the whole situation. And it ended up turning into sort of a big thing on, you know, in libertarian circles. You know, I, uh, when I actually went to Freedom Fest, you know, I heard I was, you know, one of the more talked about individuals there, even though, you know, I barely set foot into it when it happened. But, uh, so yeah, so that, that sort of blew up. The film got pulled. Um, and I went public about how I didn't think it was right, that the film is really about, um, you know, the, the civil rights violation and due process rights violation of, of Nick because the federal government had seized a half million dollars from his bank account, put him on a no-fly list uh, because he was at the Capitol, not in the Capitol, on January 6th and uh, was a part of the Stop the Steal movement. And so... That, that's sort of the nature of that blow up. Um, and then really what happened after that was crazy because uh, as a result of the film not screening at Freedom Fest, Nick decided to have his own screening in Vegas at the same time. And so lo and behold, uh, he pulls together a 150 person private screening. Um, but somehow, um, you know, people had got wind of this. Um, it resulted in me actually losing my reservation at the Mirage, uh, in Vegas, then being put on a do not book list at the Venetian hotel across the street and almost being escorted out of the Mirage by Mirage security. When I tried to set foot into freedom fest, which I was a paid ticket holder to. Um, so it really escalated in some ways I, I didn't realize. And, um, you know, the, the, how that happened and everything is, is, is another story or is, is an additional part of the story. But yeah, so I found myself getting kicked out of Vegas hotels that are fine having, you know, cartel members and the mafia, um, and, and pimps hang out in. And, and yet just because I made this film about a, you know, 23 year old, uh, live streamer, um, <laughs> I found myself persona non grata in Vegas hotels. Now that that's really interesting. Just just that one aspect, uh, really quick before we move on, is that don't get me wrong, Jason. I think you're a really talented guy. I think everyone can agree you're a, a, a perfectly handsome man. <laughs> However, all of us all of us here that sort of revolve around libertarian anarchist type circles, we know that we're a niche audience. Yeah. We're we're not exactly the mainstream. And in you being a filmmaker, you your job way more often than not is you're the man behind the camera, right? You're the guy running the tape, not the guy in front of the microphone. And yet you're identified on security cameras at these different places that you're going and being escorted. I mean, that's that's that had to freak you out a little bit. I mean, were you freaked by it or did you just laugh at all? Well, off? you know, what was interesting was when, when we had our reservation canceled at the Mirage, that was about two weeks before the event, we got an email and they were like, we have received information that you're holding a ticketed event in one of the suites. I had like a suite that cost thousands of dollars there. And, you know, I've been to Vegas suites where people have get togethers in them all the time. You know, it was like a 1600 square foot sweet. And so we were going to have an event. It wasn't a ticketed event. I hadn't sold tickets to anything, 
but they said, yeah, we heard you're doing this. And so you're not welcome here, which was sort of funny. And, um, I was like, okay, whatever, you know? And then I booked a, ho- a room at the Venetian, which is across the street, but with a total, it's not part of MGM resorts. And I was like, oh, this will be fine. I'm just going to go to a different hotel. Well, the funny thing about the Venetian was I was in the cab on the way from the airport to the Venetian when I got a call from them that (laughs) our room was not going to be honored. So I'm like literally in Vegas, have all of our bags and, and they're like, yeah, no, you can't check in. Was very curious. I was like, how did this happen? How did this get contagious? Right. And so, um, you know, we ended up frankly going to the Venetian anyway and, and attempting to check in kind of like, Hey, we don't know what's going on. Got a few answers from them. Um, found out that we were on a do not book list. So someone had put us, you know, by name and face on a do not book list. Um, and then when I went to the Mirage, um, back, you know, cause freedom fest was going on there. Um, you know, I wasn't staying there, but I had a, 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 something happen where I was walking through a hallway and three security guards came and they said, uh, Mr. Rink, stop right there. I had no name tag on. Okay. So they knew who I was mm-hmm. visually. They told me they were watching me through security. They made a phone call. I waited around and they said, oh, okay, you're clear. And they let me stay. Well, that situation was very curious to me because I was like, okay, how did I go from getting my film banned from Freedom Fest to getting kicked out of two hotels and somebody having my picture and name as a possible troublemaker in the resort, right? And so I I did reach out to Freedom Fest for some answers. I I said, hey, listen, I just want to let you guys know, I just had security stop me and almost kick me out. And I said, now I assume they called you guys and you're the ones who gave them the all clear, but I'm trying to figure out how did I end up on the list to begin with? And uh, I got a denial from them that they had anything to do with it. They said that the um, the Mirage was doing things uh, uh, by their own choice. And they didn't have anything to do with it. Well, I, I felt that was still curious. So I went ahead and I went and had a conversation with the head of security at the Mirage. See, because I had received a report from another individual who had told me that that one of the Freedom Fest organizers had communicated to him that they were watching me and they knew that they were watching me in the hotel. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is not all adding up. So I, I went to the, the head of security. I talked to him. I said, look, am I ever allowed to book a room here? Why am I being monitored? All of this. And he said, yeah, listen, we don't have a problem with you, but we have a client here, Freedom Fest, who, you know, obviously is spending a bunch of money with them. And they gave us a list of people to keep an eye on. And you were on it with, with the photo along with a couple other people. And so long story short is here's what I actually think happened. What I actually think happened was, was the Mirage realized number one, that they were going to have trouble kicking me out of the hotel for any reason if I was a registered guest. So they, they decided to cancel my reservation. And then at some point, when Nick had decided to do the counter screening and, and they thought maybe Nick was going to come cause trouble and maybe I would, which they had no reason to believe that. I, in fact, I had even reached out to them before I bought a ticket and I said, Hey guys, I still want to attend, but I'm not going to cause any trouble. I'm just going there to see friends. Don't worry about it. You know? And they gave me the okay to come. Well, somebody ended up turning a list over and said, Hey, if you could just keep an eye on these guys. 
and I think what the Mirage did was they just did a professional courtesy and they turned that list over to another hotel. And um, that's sort of the domino effect that happened, right? And security ended up, you know, approaching me because I'm on the list. So, you know, while I don't think Freedom Fest ever intended to get me kicked out of two hotels or or kicked out of the venue, uh, I think by them turning in a list and letting them know, hey, you need to monitor this guy, you know, Vegas takes these things very seriously. And so mm -hmm. I, I they definitely had a hand in it. They've never admitted it to me, but I believe the friggin' head of Mirage Security telling me this story, you know, he, he's, um, you know, he's got no reason to tell me, tell me anything different. So that, that's what happened there. Um, I, I would definitely say it's, it's South. Uh, I, I was in a position where I was ready to sort of like, uh, mend fences with everybody at freedom fest, you know, and like for everything to be cool. And yet this was the final thing that for me, uh, it really, it really soured it for me because I'm like, you know, they, they put me on a watch list for no reason. Like this is something that, you know, I would expect from like the government. Right. And it's like, what was the mm -hmm. reason to put me on a list and have me monitored by internal security? Have I can, have I conducted myself in any way or behaved in any way that would warrant that kind of, you know, that kind of treatment. And uh, when they denied it to me as well, didn't have the respect enough to tell me what happened. And I had to go digging on my own to get to the bottom of it. For me, that was that was a real that was really the issue. So that's the final. And I haven't really talked about those details anywhere else. This is a uh, it's too late exclusive right now. Breaking. Ooh. <laughs> Now this is this is such a tough situation, Jason, and because something that I thought when all of this was unfolding, and now and and I appreciate you giving me that that new information because I had been wondering, you know, if I, me being a nobody, if I call my local McDonald's and say, hey, don't sell Jason a Big Mac, he's bad news. They're gonna laugh and hang up the phone. So someone someone with some clout had to step up and say, hey, we want this guy. Yeah hassled watched banned some combination of those things it, it wasn't just a nobody it was somebody and and it was and it was deliberate it, you know you were put on a watch list uh and so and so that's good to know however something that was just gnawing at me during this whole episode was there were other people and i'm not naming names or calling anyone out but you know there's other people associated with freedom fest that are perfectly good people there was other speakers and presenters and and all that that are going that are people that you and i may admire and enjoy and we're perfectly happy to see them succeed and i'm perfectly happy to see them invited to events like freedom fest but jason they did you wrong man and so it's like at what point do you say this isn't just a, this is no longer just a personal issue just for me i actually want to see these people suffer consequences. And if I can't personally hurt them at, at a minimum, I, I want their organization to fail. I want their event to be worse than it was because of, because this is what they've done to you. I mean, who will it be next time? They obviously, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is that we, they've obviously shown that they're capable of being this way. 
and I and I all and I tend not to give people the benefit of the doubt that look, it won't just be you. Someone else will say will wander off the plantation tomorrow, and then it'll be them, and then it'll be the next person. And and I just I love seeing the bad guys lose. So are you are you truly at a point where you've just you've wiped your hands of it, or do you genuinely have the attitude of you know what I'm going to act actually actively tell people my story and hope they don't support? Me? Well, uh, I'll I'll say two things about that. Number one, for me, it's like. In a lot of ways, it's water under the bridge. I mean, in that it happened, it went down the way it did. I have all the facts. One thing that really bothered me is there are some high-profile people in the libertarian movement who I don't even know, like I don't even have a relationship with, who were claiming to have the real story about what happened because they had talked to all the Freedom Fest organizers and had publicly accused me of being dishonest about how it went down. People who never asked me directly, they read what I read, and then they had conversations independently about all this. And I'm like, guys, here's the problem. They're lying to me about what happened. Like, they put me on the watch list. Like, I'm sure that's not information they were giving other people, right? And so one of the things that happened that really bothered me is it's like it's like this whole gossip machine started because, and I know this to be true, when I first started going on podcasts about this, organizers from Freedom Fest started reaching out to those podcasters. Like I announced I was going on several. Um, and Bob Murphy was one of these. Um, I said I was getting ready to go on his podcast. And then when I sat down for the podcast with Bob Murphy, before we got started, he said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, Freedom Fest reached out to me. They wanted to talk to me before I did this podcast, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, what is happening? And they did that to numerous podcasters. They, and then they went to a bunch of people on my friends list like people they knew who knew me and wanted to have all these side conversations with them, people who are not involved in anything. And I was like, this is very strange behavior. And, and so they were going and having private conversations with people who are connected with or associated with me to give them, quote unquote, their side of the story. And in a lot of ways, they were just poisoning the well, as far as I'm concerned, because some of the people they were talking to have no relationship with me. And so it's like, it's their word, respectable organization versus canceled filmmaker who hangs out with some guys on the fringe alt-right or whatever. You know, oh, you know, Rink's, Rink's hanging out with the MAGA crowd, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's trouble or whatever. And so that was one thing that really bothered me because here's what I think. I think people need to have these conversations one-on-one. -on -one. And I only went public with my story originally because I knew that they were trying to sweep it under the rug and that they were trying to reframe what happened. They never wanted to admit that it was prominent libertarian leaders of organizations who pressured them that, and that they responded to, to that by pulling the film. They never wanted to, to, to make that public. They wanted to not let that ever come out. And I wasn't going to let them do that. And so, you know, there's a number of things around all of this that have really troubled me and has exposed what I think is just some like, you know, I don't know, something that's very unpleasant beneath the surface here. Some of it's just humans being humans and acting the way that people do, you know. But all of that being said, I have no vendetta against them. Like, I still would like to see them succeed in doing whatever they can do and will do. I think that their success, uh, that the, their mission that they claim to be about, I think that there's a, a lack of integrity that is going to make that mission less likely to be achieved on its own. You know, I think that that there's 
there's this just points to some things that are problematic um, that will prevent them from standing up around a number of things. Look, the woke mob came after them and SPLC wrote an article, you know, saying Andrew Yang is at Freedom Fest who they have uh, Reed Coverdale who, uh, you know, he talked to talked to this guy who's a Holocaust denier and Dave Smith interviewed Nick Fuentes a couple times. And oh, and by the way, they were going to have a Nick Fuentes film, but they got rid of it, you know. And so it was like the SPLC came after him anyway. You cannot appeal to these people, yeah. right? And so the the thing that makes organizations and people cave to that stuff anyway, that's going to be the downfall as far as I'm concerned is, is that what it is that generates their willingness and wanting to cave in the first place. That's just going to create a world of problems from that for them trying to move forward in a powerful way to spread this message of Liberty. So that's me saying, yeah, it's water under the bridge for me. Um, I don't intend on participating in Freedom Fest in the future in any formal fashion. Um, I don't see that changing. And if I do have anything else to say about it, it's simply that there's a possibility we're going to make a film called The Most Canceled Filmmaker in America. Uh, after we get uh, Q Sent Me and The Steel, uh, our other two films that will release in the next 12 months, we may do a film sort of about the nature of cancel culture from the perspective of, of our experience trying to make counter narrative films. And if we do that, it will uh, definitely have a chapter on the Freedom Fest debacle. So that's what I'll say about that. All I'll say to that is, is that I hope before before you get around to that, I hope I can do a video about how the the Confederacy was objectively correct, so that that way I can appear in your film about being yeah, canceled. Uh, <laughs> Whatever you got to do, man. There's a few. There's a, definitely a few topics you could speak out on, and it'll result in swift cancellation. So you know. Well, sort of making a segue from there, I know that this this whole scenario has been crazy for you, but I imagine I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine that as a filmmaker, you want to you want to talk about things you want to talk about, right? Things that interest you personally or things that you feel like uh, stories that should be told that are not being told elsewhere. You know, you don't have to make a documentary about why taxation is theft, right? The, the information is already readily available, and that's a relatively milk toast topic as opposed to some of the topics you have covered. Um, but then again, I imagine you full well know that when you're formulating an idea or filming a documentary, I imagine you know what's spicy and what isn't. What is you, you know what's going to make waves and what doesn't, even if you maybe don't know the extent to which waves might get made yeah and you know uh oh go ahead go ahead i want to cut you off well no i was just gonna say just just to kind of turn that in into a question is how has the it, it reminds me of that old axiom the obstacle is the way that sometimes the challenge can can for, sort of show you the blueprint on how to move forward how has this whole scenario sort of colored how you conduct business going forward yeah well i'll say two i'll say two things number one you know, I'm fortunate and this was intentional. You know, I've built a commercial production company that does work and has clients that are not related to political or, you know, uh, third rail topics or whatever. And for the most part, it's shielded from all of this stuff, whether because the clients that I work with support me anyway, because they're ideologically aligned, at least in some fashion, or they have no idea about it. Right. 
And I, I'm, I'm fairly impervious to being canceled. Um, like, Oh, from a, from like a business standpoint, it's just because, you know, that I'm in business for myself. The people that work for me are fully aligned. We try to work with clients that are at least aligned on what I would say the right side of the spectrum. Um, and you know, as far as that's concerned. So then what I'm producing in a film standpoint, you know, I'm taking resources I've generated from my entrepreneurship and that builds the foundation of those projects. And of course, you know, I'm trying to monetize them, you know? Um, and so the, the fact of the matter is that when I started making these series of films, it wasn't, this wasn't as top of mind for me as it was in the past or, uh, as it is now, because if we just put some context around it, you know, I started filming, I started following the stop the steal movement, like 10 days after the election in 2020. And even at that point in time, Trump was still on Twitter. Okay. Ali Alexander, the founder of stop the steal was still on Twitter. Like I was still on Twitter. So it's, it's like, the cancellation uh, on the political side of the spectrum had not reached its full momentum until after January 6th. You know, we mm -hmm. did have the, the stuff that happened with like Hunter Biden's laptop that was getting like, you know, suppressed and whatever. And we saw, you know, dirty tricks and cancellation happening around like the COVID regime for sure. But it didn't get to the place that it got around these sort of the political topics around the election and around Jan six until after Jan six. And so I found myself making some films that while I was out there capturing the content, I didn't, you know, I wasn't thinking like, Oh, there's no way to get these distributed. I was still thinking like, you know, these are interesting topics, you know, especially when we got the interview with Jacob Chansley, the Q shaman, like I was like, oh my God, this guy's a worldwide icon. People know who this guy is. This, the people were going to want to hear the story. Um, but then after Jan six and after I, I lost a bunch of social media accounts, other people did like, yeah, I started to recognize, oh wow. Like this is, um, this is, this might be more difficult than I thought. Like, you know, we had secured meetings uh, with Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, you know, A&E, you name it, streaming platform or BBC, all of that. We, we gotten in conversations with those, those level players for distribution on Q sent me when we first started making it. And then we were getting responses like, uh, from Netflix, um, we're offended. You would pitch this to us. This is the Osama bin Laden of Jan six, you know, like the, sh the shaman, mm -hmm. right? And so we started to see that like, oh, the regime narrative is really taken over and oh, like no one's going to take a political risk, um, you know, or business risk on these films, even though from our perspective, I'm like, guys, 71 million people voted for Donald Trump. Like there's a massive audience out there that is, is like, oh, do you want to watch a movie about the stop the steal movement? Yes, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people who do, or do you want to watch a movie on Jan six that isn't coming from the regime perspective that like may have an alternative storytelling of this? Oh yeah, absolutely. That audience is there. And so on one hand, it's, you know, that stuff all kind of came by surprise, like the level of cancellation around these topics and how difficult it was going to be to actually get them out to an audience. But what I've taken refuge in or what I've sort of, you know, what I've 
put all my chips on the line around is I've said, listen, uh, an underserved audience is a market force. And ultimately, those markets find a way to get what they want. And whether that's going to be through the black market that we're like distributing like, you know, flash drives like they do in like, you know, lockdown nations, right? Where they're dropping like, you know, flash drives into like, you know, North Korea or whatever. Um, you know, it's like, or if services and companies will just start to develop that are like, hey, listen, we're going to put the anti-Nick Fuentes film and the pro-Nick Fuentes film. We're going to put the regime narrative on the election and, you know, the stop the steal version up there. And we're going to have them all up there together because that's a, that's better than, you know, I just believe that that, that shift is happening. It's going to happen. I think we're a little early. Um, but I, you know, and I said, listen, I'd rather just be on the vanguard of this shift in content creation and storytelling that allows me to be totally authentic that allows me to have total creative control and that allows me to cover the topics that interest me. And frankly, for part of that for me is it's topics that aren't getting covered um, because who wants to watch like the 10th documentary on like organic food, right? Or whatever. Um, and I also don't want to make, um, you know, like films that only speak to the true believers. That's kind of the other thing. Like, you know, I, I think sure. if I made a film on taxation as theft, you know, most people who would make a film like that are are like looking to make a film that the hardcore libertarians are going to be like, yeah, see, I, that's what I've been saying, you know, and it's like, no, that's not what I'm up to. I, I want to make a film that could go on Netflix, like that, that, that a broad group of people could watch it and, and, you know, come away with it, having learned something or experienced something in a different way. Well, I know everybody's really excited for Q sent me, which I don't think you're ready to give us a an, an exact date on when that's going to be available. But this is going to cover January 6th, the protest. You have a ton of footage because you were there. You were live on the scene taking it all in, uh, exclusive interview with the Q Shaman, all that stuff. Uh, which which leads me to the next thing. In our pre-show, you and I were talking about the the whole FBI business recently, the the weaponization of the FBI. Because of course, the FBI was just we weaponized this yep. week. You know, they weren't weaponized a hundred nope. years ago. No, 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 just this week. <laughs> uh, and 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 the raid at Mar-a-Lago and all this stuff. And I had said, hey, Jason, what do you have any comments on that? And you said that you actually have a very personal story. When it comes to dealing with with that sort of thing, do you do you want to tell yeah. our audience? Yeah, that? I'm happy to happy to talk about this. So, um, and this is just developed very recently. So, some of your audience may know. I don't know if I spoke about this was on, when I was on your show last, but so last February, uh, February of 2022, I had received an email from the January 6th committee, and they asked if I would voluntarily cooperate with them and let them look at some of the footage that we'd gotten during the Stop the Steal movement in January 6th. And uh, my lawyer responded on my behalf and said, no, uh, we're not going to voluntarily cooperate, gave them a couple of reasons. And uh, I was like, OK, let's see if I get a subpoena. You know, let's see if they escalate this. Well, nothing happened. Jan 6 committee, you know, met kind of, you know, it's kind of over, but I think they got more hearings, you know, or whatever. Who knows if it'll ever be over, right? <laughs> it's like, who knows if Jan 6 will ever not be the only thing they want to talk about from now till the end of the yeah. world. But it's like, as those Jan 6 committee hearings are wrapping up, I was like, well, maybe I'm not going to get subpoenaed for this. Well, then like a month ago, The Guardian did an article about 
you know, this other stop the steal movie in production. And I was surprised to find out it was my documentary called, called the steal. And I was named specifically in the guardian article along with my filmmaking partner, Paul Eskindone. You know, I was not reached out for comment by the guardian at all. Like they didn't ask me anything. They had seen a trailer and a couple of clips online proceeded to write a huge long article that painted a picture like we had the smoking gun footage between Roger Stone and Ali Alexander planning the insurrection. Like the article was riddled with some inaccuracies. It made us sound pretty badass though. Cause it was like, it was like, they refused to cooperate with the Jan six committee. And I was like, you damn right. We refused. And then, um, it, but, but something was in this article that was really got my attention. They put in that article the reasons that my lawyer had given the Jan 6 committee why we wouldn't share the footage. They said it was around First Amendment grounds, basically, and that we had a fear of the footage leaking. Well, what's interesting about that being in a Guardian article is that information was never publicly given anywhere. It was only in communication between my lawyer and the Jan 6 committee. So the Jan 6 committee, somebody who had access somewhere, something leaked that information to the Guardian. OK, that makes it into an article. The Guardian writes an article making it seem like we've got the smoking gun footage. And then Twitter blows up making calls for us to get subpoenaed. OK, well, some of your audience is smart enough to know that this is actually how it happens. Articles get written in order to create a pretext for government than to take an action that they wouldn't have done without it. And so lo and behold, nine days after that Guardian article, I get my first email from the Department of Justice with the FBI CC'd on it. And they are making a more formal request for the content. And so uh, all I will say at this point is that it seems as though um, a warrant is going to be issued for that content, uh, the specific content that they want. Um, and we have taken steps to, um, put that content in escrow at an alternate location, uh, that the government has agreed to essentially not come up in the dark of night guns drawn looking for the hard drive. Right. Um, you know, this is a, uh, this is a move that we made in order to protect life of, you know, family, um, neighbors, federal agents also to not create some news, you know, moment. Um, and, and I'll say one other thing, you know, part of the reason we wanted to do it this way was because I know people who have specific experience around these, uh, Jan six subpoenas and warrants where they have agreed with the FBI. The FBI has been like, Hey, we're going to come out and pick you up Monday. And the person's like, yeah, fine. Well, on Friday, the FBI, com uh, FBI comes out with a SWAT team, you know, and, you know, it, it, that, that's, it's dumb, it's dangerous, it's unnecessary, especially in this situation when we're talking about a hard drive of files, for God's sake. And so uh, it looks like a warrant's going to be issued for the, those files, that that's going to go into the possession of, of the federal government. And, you know, they're going to find what they find on that. Uh, but, you know, so for me, <laughs> the topic of the, you know, weaponization of, of the um, FBI and the Department of Justice uh, against the political enemies, you know, is something that I, you know, that's, that's a topic near and dear to my heart. And uh, I think that, 
when we see what's going on right now, you know, I think most people who I think most people recognize that we're seeing political maneuvers happening right now regarding this this raid with Trump. Not to say that there's nothing illegal or wrong, you know, but I don't know if the government has ever spent as much money trying to find something illegal or wrong to throw a person in jail for than they have with Trump over the last five years. And so, you know, it's hard for me to believe that they're going to have the smoking gun and 11 documents they find, you know, in Mar-a-Lago. But who knows? Um, I think many of us see this for what it is as part of a plan to make sure Trump doesn't run in 2024 because they can't beat him at the ballot box, no matter what you think about Trump. Well, I, you know, it's that's such an interesting observation about The Guardian is that it, perhaps more people are seeing that the type of articles they're putting out, that's not journal, that's not reporting, that's a call to yeah. action, so <laughs> yeah. to speak. And, and yeah, so that's, that's a very interesting way of looking at modern journalism as a call to action. Um, we'll, we'll wrap up on this. Uh, Jason, you and I were also talking a little bit about when all of this was going down with the FBI raid on Trump and and people were digging up all these old clips and articles of, you know, uh, you know, actual halfway decent conservatives who before now were saying, you know, we should have abolished the Espionage Act long ago. It's always been used to target political dissidents. Um, We should have abolished the, you know, not reform. We're not looking for reformers. We're looking for abolitionists here. Let's get rid of the FBI because it's, it, it wasn't, it hasn't been used to target political dissidents this week. It's been used like that all the time. And there was an amazing trending that came up on Twitter. Hashtag Ron Paul was right. (laughs) Now, I mean, it's, we're sitting here talking in 2022, the man last ran for president in 2012, retired shortly thereafter that. Uh, So let's take a quick trip down memory lane to wrap up. But what do you think about seeing that trending hashtag Ron Paul was right and seeing the old videos, by the way, the old videos of him running as a libertarian as well, all the way back before the Republican runs where he was saying, I'm not suggesting we put together a committee and discuss the FBI. I'm saying close the doors and burn down the building. tonight. Well, you know, and I think the video I saw was like 40 years old or something. It's, it's like, this wasn't like in his 2012 speech, you know, (laughs) like, this is it's yes. decades old. And so on the one hand, what I think is interesting is it's like, well, of course, Ron Paul was right. He has been right. Many of us know this. And, um, you know, it's good to see more people waking up to that, you know. And then there, but there's something else I kind of want to point out in this. Right. And it it's it because I've actually seen a number of libertarians, for example, being like, we've been saying this forever, you know, and it's like you know, the, the conservatives start getting on board with some of these ideas and whether they're really on board or not, you know, obviously remains to be seen. You and I both have very little faith in the GOP, you know, shutting down a bunch of three letter, 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 um, you know, arms of the government. Okay. But, you know, I see libertarians sort of taking victory laps about like how they've been warning this for so long. And, you know, this is, um, We've been saying this for a long time. And, you know, I made a comment online that got a little attention where I said, yeah, you know, libertarians will be um, saying they were warning about the boxcars years ago while they're getting loaded up onto the boxcars to the concentration camps. Right. Like my and my point was like, you know, yes, we all want to be right. And we all want to to recognize like when 
everybody else is just catching up to us. But the question I have is, well, what does it actually take for the FBI to get that shut down 40 years ago or 10 years ago or anything? Like, what would it take to get shut down now? And the, and the fact of the matter is, is that as right as Ron Paul's been for all of these years, you know, Ron Paul also lacked real power in government to enact a lot of the things he would have seen done. And I say the same thing about libertarians and the Libertarian Party is it's like, yeah, guys, Libertarian Party's been right a lot, but right doesn't actually create more freedom for anyone. And so what I'm what I'm not here saying is that we shouldn't continue to be right and say, you know, speak truth to these things, even if you're shouting sort of in a void. But what I do want to say is like, hey, what I think we need to start asking ourselves now is, is what what would it actually take to shut down these organizations? How would that actually be accomplished? And is it going to result because uh, one third or one half of Americans suddenly join the Libertarian Party? Or what paths of power do we need to pursue and get behind in order to try to see these things achieved? And this is where we get into the question of like, well, you know, do we support the GOP? Do we, you know, is DeSantis good or bad or, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, I'm not here with any answers, but what I am saying is that being right about these issues for decades hasn't created any more real freedom for anyone. What we've got to ask ourselves is now that more Americans are eyes are being open to the naked power grabs that both establishment Republicans and Democrats are ready to get behind and are ready to turn the full power of the federal government onto the people, what is the mechanism, what is the strategy that is going to work or that's going to result in moving the needle to trying to, to produce the outcomes that we've been right about for 40 years? Well, the, the way I like to sum that up is is that uh, might makes right is morally wrong, but it's objectively yeah. true. Well, on that note, Jason, <laughs> that's, where can people that's a kind I know of black pill, man. I'm I'm just gonna go I'm gonna go cry and drink some I, I mean I mean I'm sorry. I know I know that there's people out there who say, Oh, you're you're black pilled. Uh, see that's that's the thing though, is that I'm I'm very I'm very black pilled when it comes to uh, you know, fighting over the one ring in terms of yeah. federal power. But I'm incredibly white-pilled when it comes to your community yes. and your yeah. family and your yeah. state and your city and your, you know, your county. Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the the 10th Amendment, you know, we're, we're big 10th Amendment yeah. Center guys here. So, I mean, I, I think that there's plenty of area for optimism. It's just, it's just directing what little resources we have in the right yes, direction. Yes, and I will say, you know, and libertarians have been on the, on the federalism bandwagon for a long time. And by the way, you know, we're seeing the uh, surge in the popularity of federalist concepts um, and it coming into the mindset of more Americans as a result of COVID and what we saw happen there. And so um, that the white pill for me is the same or, you know, the, the optimistic side of this is that, hey, listen, more people are open to decentralization, localism, you know, all of this and trying to figure out how can we erect, you know, solid defense at the local county, city, state level against federal encroachments. Yeah, I, de I definitely think that's the that's the route we want to go and we want to be looking at and move the conversation in that direction. Well, speaking of being erect, Jason, where can people go 
to support you and get more announcements of your upcoming project? Yeah, so um, you know, our our film Q sent me is at QSentMeMovie.com. We just dropped a new trailer there. That will be releasing before the end of the year. Um, and so that's one thing you want to keep an eye out for. People can check that out. I also have a Substack, cancelproof.substack.com, where we periodically post uh, podcasts, articles, updates, things like that. And that is free to join. Um, and you can sort of stay uh, on top of things that are developing. But yes, uh, we do have a um, the, the, the film, The Most Canceled Man in America, um, the full 47-minute version of that film. So at Freedom Fest, it was only a 21-minute short. We have a full 47-minute film. That is going to be released next week. Uh, so if you want to you know, figure out where you can watch that, go to cancelproof.substack.com and sign up for updates. And then um, you know, uh, Q Sent Me will be coming hot on its heels. And uh, we're excited to see uh, what happens from there, man. So, uh, But thanks for having me on. It's been uh, a lot of fun talking to you. Well, we're excited as well, Jason. We're going to get you. We got one more for you. We're going to get you in here on this one. Are you ready for the bonus round? Is a waffle a cake? Man, um, you know, that is a that is a great question. Uh, A pancake. If a pancake is a cake, then a waffle is indeed a cake Uh, because the, you know, difference between ingredients batter and cooking methods is doesn't change the fundamental the fundamental you know ontological being of the food i would say so i'm gonna go with a waffle as a cake that is correct a waffle is indeed a cake jason it's very important for us to shame our friends and neighbors who eat cake for breakfast. That is not the way to start your day. Uh, Jason, you're a real libertarian. I knew you would get it right. <laughs> Jason, thanks for being thanks with us, lot, buddy. Man. Guys, we're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Stick around. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Alan Mosley. Like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Alan Mosley TV. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com at Alan Mosley TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's YouTube.com. You guessed it. Alan Mosley TV. <laughs> if you're right now on Odyssey, go support a free speech platform. It's Odyssey. It's too late with Alan Mosley. You're at Alan Mosley TV. If you're more of a listener than a watcher, get us on your favorite podcasting platform choice. Thanks to Anchor FM. It's anchor.fm slash Dave. What is it? Alan Mosley TV. Yes. That's Jesus. <laughs> All right. I didn't know uh, there was going to be a quiz. <laughs> Dave. Do you have a final thought? Man, Jason, that that is a wild story that he's right? still living. Still living. Yeah. It's, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna have to talk about that. Catch me up a little bit. <laughs> this is yeah. a great show. Starting to get the hang I know, of this. this this was a great show. I'm God, this was this was a banger. 
Cat Jam certified for our Twitch friends who were in the know. Our boomer audience doesn't know what I just said, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, after party? Yeah, real quick party. Little quick, quick party. Picture. No balls tonight, though. No, no balls. No balls. No. Those, yeah, you can't. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, not now, but later. <laughs> you <know>. promises. <laughs> um, Twitch.tv slash Alan underscore mostly. But if you're not going to be there, thanks so much for watching another episode of It's Too Late, and we will see you next week. <laughs> Alan said no balls, people. No balls. <laughs> Exclamation mark play. <laughs> Wabi Sabi, I like seeing my balls on screen. We didn't we didn't get yeah. one exclamation point play during the stream. I'm pretty proud of them. Yeah, I know, right? Maybe maybe they're all maybe they're all balled out after Monday. <laughs> I don't know. It was pretty it was intense. a wild one. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, if we get fifty dollars <laughs> in donations on PayPal before the during the after party we'll we'll watch some balls collide. What do you think? <laughs>